Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 will begin in verse 26. You look real close at the introduction that Luke provides uh, in the opening verses of this book. And Luke is careful to be very precise in specific details about every event that he speaks of. And in these details, we find some things, some definite principles that God makes for us to be aware of. There's an exclamation point uh, at the end of each of these uh, sequences of details. He says that he paid attention to details, and therefore we find the lesson there and the message in the details. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This was now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered to the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. There will be a fulfillment of those things which are told her from the Lord. Let's pray together, please. Thank you so much, Father, for the story of Christmas. We thank you for what it means to us personally. We thank you for what it means to the whole world, and we ask that we would spread this message indeed to the entire world. There are many who need your love, and we ask that we would be the ones to carry that to them and show the world the true meaning of Christmas the true meaning of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Several things to consider that we all can't, we can't cover just in one service.
But I want to look at some things as we just look at some of the details here and kind of to summarize some of these details. He is very clear, Luke is, to tell us that Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. He's very specific in these details. And in these details, if you remember, after we've read the uh, issue about Zacharias, we see the variety of people that God chooses to use. It would be pretty obvious and maybe expected that God would use a priest and send Gabriel to a priest in the temple with all of its splendor and holy places. And here's a man who had served him all of his life, very faithfully, very respected. He's of the priesthood. And you say, well, that's predictable that God would go to a man like that. He could have used a younger couple to bring John the Baptist into the world, but he didn't. He chose to use an aged priest. But now we see that he sent to a very poor teenage girl. Now we know that they were poor later on when you see the detail about when they present Jesus in the temple. And this is later on in the book of Luke chapter 2. And they bring the two turtle doves. And the reason they brought the two turtle doves is they were too poor to afford a lamb that should have been brought. So we know that they were very poor. We know that she was a very lowly estate. And she was a teenage girl. Now how do we know that? Well, you have to understand the culture of the day. Teenage girls married before they turned 20. All girls typically would be married by the time they were 20. They married very young simply because there was nothing else for women to do. You didn't have career women. You didn't have educational opportunities. Uh, when girls became uh, young women, they got married. And we know that because she was engaged to a man named Joseph, most likely she was a very young woman and she most likely was a teenager. Now, now what conclusion can we draw from that? Here's the principle in the details. Nobody is ever too young or too old to be included in God's work. You're not too young to be included in God's work. Find your place. You're not too old to be included in God's work. Don't step aside. Keep on going. But when we look at what's going on in this passage of Scripture, we know that God can and will use anybody from any walk of life. Secondly, we see the vision of God to perform his work. God told Mary some things that were going to happen. And he told her about the immediate issues that were going to affect her personally. In verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. She he tells Mary about the immediate things that are happening. These things are going to happen just in, in less than a year, obviously. These things are going to happen uh, with, within a few months. And these were very deeply personal things that would affect her entire life personally. But then again, he tells her about the eternal. You see, the things that are going to happen immediately were not just going to affect the next few months. They were going to affect all of eternity. In verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Now God's talking about eternity. He's saying, here's the things that will happen to you in the next few months. And here are the things that are going to happen forever. And now, not only here are the things that are going to happen to you, but here are the things that's going to affect all of humanity. So God has two views concerning the future. The immediate view and the eternal view. The personal viewpoint and the viewpoint that affects others around us. Now, here is a very important detail when it comes to trying to understand why things happen. And a lot of times we, we have those questions. Because things develop in our personal lives and we want to know, why is this happening? Well, God's directing of the events in our life are not always all about our life. It's not always about me when God does something with me and God does something to me. Many times it's about others and God's eternal work in their lives. Many times God directs our paths into a very unpleasant place to be because he needs a light right there. And how else is he going to get the light into the dark places without directing us there? Because there are many places God places us through the events of our lives that I promise you we would not go to ordinarily. You ever been driving around and thought, I think I'll drive by an intensive care waiting area and hang out there for a while. Absolutely not. We go there, why? Because we have to be there. Why is this happening to me? Why now? Could be God needs a bright light right there. It's not all about me. Many times it's about someone else that my life can touch for all eternity. It's about not just the immediate, not just the now, but what God can do through us and in us and in our lives and our circumstances that can affect someone else's life forever. Thirdly, we see God's understanding of our heart. Now, in, in the book of Luke, you have two responses that seem to be identical. When God sends the angel Gabriel to two different people and gives them some unbelievable news, I mean, let's look at these responses. And they seem almost identical. In verse 18, as we realize Zacharias has just gotten the news that he and his wife are going to have a baby boy. And he says this, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. God comes to Mary and gives Mary the news that she is going to bear a son. And she's never been with a man. She did not live with Joseph and in a marital state. They were engaged, but they haven't lived together. She had never, there's no human reason to know or think that she would ever be having a son right now. And Mary says this. She says, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. This is in verse 34. So you say, sounds like they responded the same way. Zacharias said, how am I going to know this? Mary says, how can this be? Now, look what happens. Totally different in what happens to the two of them. The angel tells Zacharias, because you didn't believe, you won't be able to talk for nine months, at least. 
To Mary, he simply answers her question. What's the difference? The difference is in the heart. How would we know this? We wouldn't. But God does. I mean, if you read through this and you didn't have the details that followed this, you would think that both of these people were responding in exactly the same way to what God had told them. Human perception would conclude they've said about the same thing. How can I know this? We're old people. How will this happen? I've never been with a man. But have to understand, God saw the difference. God saw the difference in two responses because God saw the heart and what was behind the responses. Now here's the lesson for that. He still sees the heart. And he still sees things that no one else would see. Well, we appear on the outside to be like everybody else. And our responses and our, our actions may be like everybody else. But God sees past what other people would see. The human perception. And he sees the heart. That tells us this. Number one, he sees the pain nobody else could see. He sees the hurt that nobody else would ever know. And, and though on the outside, you may appear to be like everybody else. He sees the heart that's broken and personal problems and issues and hurts. And grief, perhaps, that's been there for years. And nobody knows this. But God sees that. He sees the faith and the dedication that nobody else could see. He sees how much you love him when nobody else may know. And he sees how much you sacrifice when nobody else would ever be able to recognize it. And certainly doesn't seem to appreciate it. He sees all that. But then there's the other side of that coin. He sees the sin that we so carefully hide. No one else may see it, but we don't deal with anyone else. We deal with God. So he looks past what everybody else sees, and he sees the heart. That's why the two responses of God to these two people were so different, is because he saw through to the heart and the condition of the heart. Zacharias, in all his righteousness, and the Bible says he was a devoted man, God saw that he doubted. In Mary's case, God saw, she believed, she just didn't understand how this could happen. The fourth thing we notice is this. The working of God accomplishes unexplainable events. Unexplainable events that are out of reach of human understanding. Mary asked, how can this ever be? It's biologically impossible and in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Lord of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, now catch the contradictions in this statement. He will be born and be the Son of God. Now, we all know the condition of babies when they're born. They're small, they're tiny, they're totally helpless. And God says, that baby, right after he's born, will be called the Son of God. That is a contradiction that we can never reconcile in human understanding. Never, ever. Now, Elizabeth gives us something else to think about in verse 43. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? Now we have her saying, the mother... Of God Almighty. Well, that doesn't make sense. Here's a little teenage girl, and she identifies her. You are the mother 
of God Almighty. Those two things just don't reconcile, do they? That God, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, would be born as a little baby and be under the care of a human mother. That totally will never be reconciled and explained by human reasoning. And see, far too often, human response is this. If human ability can accomplish it, if we can explain it, if we can't control it or take credit for it, it can't be believed. And so through the ages, people just refuse to believe things they can't fully explain and can't fully control. That's the human response. Because it is beyond our ability to fully understand. Now, the Apostle Paul acknowledged this. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. There's a word in there that gives me great encouragement. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is writing, of course, to Timothy. And he covers a lot of different subjects. Uh, it's a short letter. He had a lot to say. But notice what he says. Without controversy, without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. The word that gives me a lot of comfort here is when he says, great is the mystery. The apostle Paul calls this a mystery. A mystery. Something that's, that's impossible to fully understand. And he says, great is the mystery, watch this, God manifest in the flesh. That is a mystery. And that is something only God could pull off. Now, this is great news that we can't understand this. It is. Because if I could understand it, it wouldn't be of God. The working of God is not dependent on our ability to understand it. God's going to work regardless of whether or not I fully understand it. The working of God is going to take place regardless of our ability to explain it or predict it or accomplish it. And this is what I like. The working of God does not require human acknowledgement. And the working of God definitely does not require human permission. God's going to be God regardless of whether we say it's okay or not. Or whether we say we fully understand it. That can't happen because you haven't given me all the answers. God says, I will work and you will never fully understand it. Because the accomplishment of God's work is not dependent on human ability. We'll never ever understand God manifest in the flesh. But let me tell you this, we'll never ever understand God Forgiving the sins of us and Jesus Christ paying the penalty for mankind beyond our ability to understand. But God accomplished it. God did it. Mary sings a wonderful song. Just like Zacharias, 
she has a lot to say about what God has done, and she puts it in, in the form of a, a psalm or a song of praise. I'm going to read through this and notice just a few details. Mary said in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, is holy, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. In this song, she says, he has, talking about God, he has done this. Eight times. Eight times. He has regarded. He has done. He has shown. He has scattered. He has put down. He has exalted. He has filled. He has sent away. He has helped. Over and over she says, God has done this. Not once does she take credit for anything. In fact, the only thing she said that she has ever done when she mentions this, my soul will magnify God and I'll rejoice in him. That's all she says. Everything else she acknowledges, God has done it. He has done it eight different times. And you see, we realize in all of these, the spotlight is not on Mary, though she does deserve some honor. She deserves some honor for her faith. Even Elizabeth said this, blessed is she who believed. She couldn't explain it. She couldn't understand it. It wasn't going to be easy, but she believed and she obeyed. She deserves some honor for that. She was faithful. But the spotlight's not on Mary. The spotlight is not really on the events or the details of Jesus' birth, although we do look at those details because it's such a wonderful story. The spotlight is on Jesus himself, his person, and his purpose. This is just one part of that great big story. The angel gives us a five-fold description of Jesus, and we don't want to lose that. And there's what we wanted to attract our attention, direct our attention through the holiday season. As she's telling him about this baby that would be born, notice what he says in verse 32. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. He'll be an heir to the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. He'll be the eternal king of Israel. But then Fifthly, he'll be eternal Lord of all the earth of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Five things he says about Jesus. And it affects us for all of eternity. God sees past the obvious and God sees the heart. As we prepare for an invitational hymn, who are we dealing with today? We're dealing with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God, who was born, he lived, and he died on the cross so that you could know eternal life. God knows the reality 
of our faith in him. God knows if you've ever had that discussion with him about your sins and asked for forgiveness. God knows that. He sees past the obvious what none of us here could ever see. So as we deal with God today, remember, he's, you're dealing with the one who can see past everything and into your heart. He knows exactly what we need to do this morning. 